Good day and welcome to episode three of the podcast, Help My Parents Need Me. My name is Stacy, and I am your host. Today, our journey continues with a lovely lady named Marcy. Welcome to the program, Marcy. Hi, thank you. Marcy, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Born and raised in Wellington, Kansas. I moved to Derby in 2002. I'm married and I have three children. Um, My daughter is 23. She is a nurse studying to be a nurse practitioner. And she currently works in the ER at Newton. And I have a son who's 21, uh, just got done with uh, the Army Services and he's in Park City. And then I have an 11 year old that lives at home with me. I currently work in um, healthcare. I've been in the healthcare field since about 2013. I am currently the Director of Business Development for Home Health and Hospice of Kansas, which is in Wichita, Kansas. Okay. And of course, Marcy, I've known you for years. Um, And so I have kind of known about your story. And so when I decided to do this podcast, I thought that your personal story would be really good to have on the program. So today we're going to talk about your story with your dad, Jim. Okay. And so why don't you give us a little bit of background about your dad? Uh, My dad was originally from Caldwell. Him and my mom got married in 1969 and they've been married since. Uh, They had my sister and I'm a twin. So three kids total. I think ever since I knew of my parents, they both were hard workers. Uh, My dad has always maintained at least two jobs. and had both jobs for 35 years. So he worked in aircraft um, at a place in Wellington. He was a maintenance foreman and he would work seven o'clock to four o'clock. And then he would come home, grab a bite to eat and go out and work um, as like a maintenance supervisor for a wealthy man there in Wellington. And he would work till dark. So he finally got a chance to retire uh, at 67 years old and he was dealing with a lot of back pain and found out that he had a degenerative disc disease. Uh, I think it was the S5 kind of lumbar area. He was also a smoker of a pipe and a cigarette and probably quit in the early 90s. So he developed COPD and also had some congestive heart failure. We found out he had restless leg syndrome and he also had what mom would tell us would be either the onset of Alzheimer's and dementia. Okay. Of course, we really didn't have much um, information other than that. They, as that generation is, they pretty much tend to their own business and kind of let us know what we need to know. (laughs) Right. Right. It's on a need to need basis. Exactly. Yes. I know all about that. I know all about that. Um, so, you know, obviously the podcast is to help other families who are maybe going through a similar journey as you did. Um, and of course we know that your dad passed away in February and we are, we are sorry for your family's loss. Um, but tell us Marcy, tell us that you knew that it was time for you 
family to step in and support your parents. When when did that happen? What was the situation? Uh, well, the caveat to that was basically my mom, I, I was at work. I was at Wesley Woodlawn um, talking to a patient's family about hospice. And I saw that my sister was calling on my phone and I swiped to go to voicemail and she continued calling two or three more times. So I knew at that point I had to probably excuse myself and answer the phone. And she had told me that my mom fell and broke her shoulder. She was in the emergency room and they were transporting her from uh, Wellington Hospital up to Via Christi St. Francis. So I left to go over there and we were there till probably 10 o'clock one night and kind of back to them telling us we're kind of on that need to know basis and not asking for help. Mom finally did say, I think I'm going to maybe need you to come down and maybe stay with me for a couple of days because I'm, I'm going to need some help, at least with your father. She didn't want to recognize that she needed help. <laughs> but uh, right. so my sister, my brother and I all kind of just took turns. We figured that we were just going to have, we all worked full-time jobs. Uh, my sister also was in healthcare and my brother works at, at Spirit. So we all have very um, demanding jobs where we, we have to be there and really can't be absent. So we kind of took turns and um, I think I stayed that night uh, to help her with her pain meds and getting her up to the bathroom. And about three o'clock in the morning, my dad got up and he went to the restroom. He was in there for 10 or 15 minutes. And then he, when he came back, he seemed confused. And I said, what's wrong, dad? And he said, well, I'm trying to figure out where my bedroom is. And I was stunned because when we would go visit, I, I knew that he would be forgetful and he would do some things, you know, he'd forget his passwords to the computer or whatever, but it was just, it was something manageable. He was still driving. Um, you know, he would go to the grocery store and get things. He would run out to the golf course or go visit with someone. So the dementia or the Alzheimer's wasn't that bad because we could have conversations with him and he was still, you know, walking and running around and, and, and driving. So it right. kind of floored me that he acted like he didn't know where his bedroom was. So at that, that next morning was where mom had to kind of be a little bit more forthcoming to how bad it's got and how bad she was trying to shield the disability from us that we didn't realize it was that bad. So we, Holly, Mark, and I pretty much just would take turns and it was just over the course of the, you know, mom's surgery for eight weeks. And then she, she couldn't have surgery for two weeks. Then she had the six week recovery period. And over that, that next eight weeks, we're, we're starting to kind of get that caregiver fatigue. We're dealing with, um, you know, running back and forth from Wichita to Wellington and who's, who's got tonight covered, who's got this weekend covered and, and kind of just watching the decline. And my sister called me up one day in December and said, you know, I think it's time that we put dad on hospice. <laughs> I said, oh, wow. This is what I do for a living. You don't do this for a living. I, I would know if he's ready for hospice. <laughs> right. Right. And Isn't it interesting, Marcy, uh, that um, there's a couple of things that you said that were very interesting. One was, is that you said, I work in hospice. I should know. But I think sometimes when we do become that caregiver or place ourselves in that caregiving role, 
we are not as objective no. as what every we would be if it was a stranger's family. Every day becomes <laughs> our new normal, you know, and, and right. so we don't, we don't want to ask for help. We just kind of manage that day and then it's on to the next and then it's on to the next. Mm -hmm. We don't see the day-to-day -day decline. We just, we just, you know, manage whatever we're, whatever crisis is happening right then and there. And then just, and of course, again, with dementia or Alzheimer's, it's that redirection, you know, right. we're not going there today, right. dad, or okay, tomorrow. And, and, and right. just, you know, trying to keep mom from arguing with dad, mom, that doesn't do any good. <laughs> right. No, just yes. agree with him. So. Right. Well, and the other interesting thing you said was, is that your mom was trying to shield um, you guys from how much he had declined. And right. that's interesting as well, because we find a lot, as you know, um, in families, especially families who have, um, you know, two spouses still living, um, one spouse, the, it's usually the spouse that's been taking care of the person with dementia sure. that will have a fall or need surgery or just, just decline themselves just because they're wore out. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, it's interesting because we as family members don't realize the decline because that spouse has, has protected and shielded the family, the children from that decline, but it's usually them who find themselves in the hospital and then it's exposed. And so I think that's very interesting and something that our families need to recognize is, you know, you, you focus so much on the person who's sick or who may have that dementia diagnosis right. or is forgetful, but we forget about the other parent who you know, is declining as well. Well, and the other parent doesn't want to, doesn't want to talk about her problems. She, right. Hey, absolutely. Dad? Well, you know, he's about the same. He had this happen the other day or he had this happen. Well, now, how are you doing? I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah. Always fine. Yeah, yes. Always fine. Yes. And, and never get anything <laughs> out of her. So. Right. So, so that's interesting that that happened. And so, um, so, so continue on. I'm sorry. I didn't, um, I just wanted to point out this too. Well, it was funny because when Holly said something about getting, um, hospice I, I said well he had a heart attack back in 2017 and that's actually just right when I started um in in home health care and I said dad uh you know with your recent heart attack we could actually get you some home health services oh I don't need no home health services and I said well why don't we I mean at least do it for me you can you can be kind of my test patient. I can actually see what it's like on the other side. And it, you know, it'll only be for a few short weeks. So we talked him into it. He didn't think he needed it, but about three weeks into it, um, his blood pressure was crazy. And so we were able, I feel like to avert, you know, him possibly going to the hospitalization, you know, going to the hospital and we were able to correct his medications and um, they kind of found out how beneficial home health was they you know really liked their nurse and she was pregnant and so they you know wanted to kind of have that relationship with her and you know let us know when she has the baby and and so it, it kind of changed that perspective I think some people think home health is that we're moving in and we're going to be there for hours upon a time you know cooking and cleaning and kind of you know hanging out and they'd see that it was just kind of short frequent visits and and you know we were there to help and help with 
some of that financial burden with just some coupons for new prescription medications. And so I knew if we were looking at hospice, we were going to have an issue with dad agreeing to it because he wasn't going to think he was that bad. And so we went down and, and did a hospice evaluation and I sit in on it and four or five questions into it I mom was answering the questions yes 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 and I thought oh my gosh how stupid am I he's totally he qualifies like why did I not see this because it was my dad and he was walking around and talking and you know part of me also was scared because I also could think of potentially this meant I would have my dad maybe six months or less and So that was kind of a hard, hard thing to absorb. But I also was hopeful in thinking, I know that hospice can be something that people have for a year to a year and a half. And maybe best case scenario, that would be, that would be us with our dad. Um, But it's just best to have it in place. You know, if he qualifies, let's get the additional service in here. Let's get the support for my mom. And, you know, we can try to try to establish that relationship. Um, Right. Right. Me being and in the field, I knew that we had palliative as an option and we could have put him on palliative as well. Um, okay. But I'm just, I'm glad we chose hospice. Right. So, I mean, we kind of talked a little bit about, you know, um, your, your feeling. I've got a question for you. It's what are some of the feelings you experienced along the way? And you've already kind of expounded a little bit that, you know, you were like, Oh, I felt like I didn't know he was appropriate for hospice and I work in it. Um, you know, um, I think there are a lot of feelings that come with taking care of your, your parents or your loved one. In my case, it was my grandmother who lived right next door to me. And, um, you know, there were times they told us, you know, we want to put grandma on hospice. And I was like, Oh, really? But looking back, I look at it and yes, she was completely appropriate for hospice. Mm -hmm. And like you said, and and we're going to, the next few episodes, we're going to dive right into home health and dive into hospice. So we're not, we're just going to do not much of that today. But, um, but, you know, I think regardless if you work in the industry or not, you know, there's something about the way we feel about our parents or our loved one. Sure. And we are not objective in those areas. Um, any clinician, you know, that's why they say, you know, it's really not good for a surgeon to do surgery on their relatives. Yeah. Because we are not able to step out of the the situation because of emotions and because of feelings. So we know that you kind of felt like, oh man, I missed the mark about hospice. But what were some of the other feelings that you or your, your siblings experienced? I mean... Were there times you were frustrated? Oh, so for sure, overwhelmed. I think just under, you know, um, sleep deprived. Uh, We can't believe how many times we would sit there and, you know, go to bed about 10, 30, 11, and he'd wake up at 12 and then he'd wake up again at 1.30 and then he was up at four and he was up at four till like six. And so at six o'clock, we'd be getting up to go to work and then he'd be wanting to go back down about 7.30 or 8.00. So you just not realize how many times you're up, even if it's just 10 or 15 minutes a night, how you just feel like you're kind of on autopilot after a while. 
Right. It gave me a complete better understanding of what it was like to be a caregiver. And I got to the point to where I would be pulling up to all these facilities, seeing people. And I would see the 85 year old woman helping her 91 year old husband out of the car with a walker or a wheelchair. And I thought, oh, bless you. I mean, I'm exhausted and and I'm not even taking him out of the home, you know, to doctor's appointments or anything Um, financially. You know, we were we were stressed because it got to the point to where he was getting more difficult to take care of. And it wasn't just taking care of him. We were taking care of her as well. So it basically went from taking care of nobody to taking care of two people. And this is your parents though. They never wanted to complain. They never wanted to ask for your help. They never wanted to share their financial information with you. And my dad was a VA uh, or he was a veteran. And at one point in time, uh, he had also a long-term care policy insurance. So they thought that they had all the bases covered. But once we started getting, you know, to that point where do we get more help in the home? Do we maybe look at putting him in a memory care? Uh, What does all that look like? So we started calling the long-term care policy. Um, and it was going to be where we had to pay three months out of pocket before the long-term care policy kicked in. So we'd look to mom and say, okay, this is going to run around $10,000 before they start picking up the insurance. And she would just look at us tight lipped and be like, well, we just got to keep doing it. We just got to take care of it. Okay. So she wouldn't explain, you know, she had the financial resources for that. It was just, well, we'll just keep kind of keep that on the back burner for now. We'd go to the VA and we would see if he qualifies for the aid and attendance. And he missed it by like three months of being in the military services. Well, Mm -hmm. as far as financial goes, again, we took both of them, them up there and they would say, well, you know, we need you to fill out this financial form because maybe we might have other resources if you qualify, you know, regarding your finances. Well, my mom would get up and leave. She didn't want to talk about the finances. So therefore we forfeit any kind of resources that maybe were available to us because they didn't feel comfortable sharing. So we had a lot of kind of roadblocks because of their pride and of just not wanting to ask for help and just their, the way that they were brought up in that, um, that era of not asking for help. Right, right. And we see that a lot, you know, as, as you know, I do placement services. And so when I'm working with families, the financial um, topic is something that we have to know in order to help the family. And it is very private and very personal. And, you know, and sometimes it really, it's hard to get that information from the prospective client simply because they do they do keep that very close um and they keep it you know they don't want to talk they don't want to ask for help they don't want to say they didn't plan um it sounds like mom and dad may have had some other options there but you guys just weren't able to utilize them simply because of um them wanting to stay with things being private right right and, um, and, and then those not bring people in the home yeah and yep. then the other aspect of it was the dynamics of the the siblings right um, you That's you have my brother who lives there in the same town and 
he had to go to bed early, so he was not really able to be there in the evenings. And then you had my sister who kind of wanted to control everything and um, kind of bark who needed to be there when, but then she'd change the schedule multiple times and then tell you again, oh, well, Mark's going to do this night and you're going to do this night. And it's kind of like, <laughs> what about asking me? And so, yeah, yeah. And I'm sure everybody fight, you know, and we yeah. tried to stay on the same page. We wanted to do what was always best for our parents, but sure. because you're tired, because you're stressed, because there's that lack of communication, there was some blowups that were not pretty. Yeah, and sometimes family dynamics can be very challenging to work through, definitely. And it sounds like those were some of the things that that you had. So, Marcy, did you guys have any other support from maybe your family, um, friends, church, support groups? Did you guys have any any type of support like that? We did. My, my mom was always a member of the church, so we had continual um, support, like a, a, a prayer chain support. Um, okay. Mom would have some of her friends coming over. We had people that would bring meals um, and come in and, and just sit and visit. Uh, we had neighbors that would make casseroles each week. So there was just at least a lot of people that were coming by on a regular basis to check in and right. just kind of, you know offer that support mm -hmm. that's good that you have that support some families they just don't have a lot of support and so one of the things that we definitely want to do for our, our senior families is educate them on support groups that are out there and church groups that are out there and yeah. and just different groups um, related to maybe some of the diseases and disease well, processes and the Alzheimer's support group, I mean, I tried to get my mom to go to an Alzheimer's meeting um, uh -huh. for, for at least the last two years prior. And again, that was something that she would not reach out yeah. uh, and try to get to. We tried to get her to go to the conference the year prior. And so, you know, yeah. it, stuff is available. It's just whether or not they'll, they'll be willing to receive that. Right, right. But it is good for us as kids. And... Uh, you know, not just kids, but maybe grandkids or just loved ones to do that research and try to encourage them. Definitely. Yeah. So I know that you didn't, dad and mom never went to a senior community. Um, no. Why did you guys decide to, to just keep them at home? Cause I know that you mentioned it was starting to get to be too much. What was that deciding factor for you guys? Well, honestly, the last two weeks, it was very difficult. Um, we definitely figured out that we kind of needed to look in that direction. Um, one of the problems was was just getting a hold of the long-term care policy and getting them a copy of the, the DPOA paperwork so they could communicate with us. Right. Um, at that point in time, we were willing to, you know, all of the siblings come out with our own money to to pay the out-of-pocket cost to, for the first month. And um, we were actually looking at putting him in a facility in Derby Okay. And it got to the point to where he ended up having a fall um, and he, we just could tell that that was kind of a turning point. Um, the hospice nurse told us that, you know, we were looking at terminal, terminal restlessness and we weren't sure, you know, how many more days we had, but it ended up being a week. And so, uh, I think it was 
two days before he passed, we were finally getting information from the long-term care policy saying, okay, call us back. We've got things figured out. And mm-hmm. by that time it was just too late. So it was, it was literally the point that mom would not disclose her financial resources to give us that go ahead and that, you know, pulling the trigger on it. Right. So, so you just kind of had to, to work with what, what was going on now now yes. after dad passed away does does mom still live independently she does um okay. she you know has talked about downsizing and selling the home um mm-hmm. but she is she has just really never recovered from her shoulder surgery she's lost 40 pounds oh, and um, she really doesn't have much use of that arm uh-huh. uh, so my brother has actually moved in with her um, he doesn't stay at his home anymore he stays with her okay. so I half independently so he has so he's had to change his lifestyle just like absolutely and I'm sure you you girls have had to to also adapt to that too to well assist. the scary thing is is that my dad's funeral was one week to the day before everything was shut down with this coronavirus. So, you know, learning of that new situation uh, for about the first five, six weeks, I was paranoid to go see her because I didn't know who I had possibly been around and if I was exposed and I knew it was five or six days before I would maybe show signs and symptoms. And because of her weight loss and her frail condition, I was, I was too scared to be around her. So my sister lost her job because of the, the virus. And so she's, she's really taken on the brunt of, you know, the caregiver role for my mom now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we see that a lot with, with families now, COVID, the COVID-19 did not help anything. And of course we've seen, um, you know, families that, you know, are weary of, you know, keeping their loved ones safe, because as we know, you know, that population is the most vulnerable. And so, um, I think there's a lot of families out there that probably could learn, learn from you guys, how your brother has moved in, your sister's adapted to helping be the caregiver. And you also, I'm sure are supporting them as well. But with the industry you work in, you do have to be really careful. So that changes some things too. So we know that dad had hospice and home health for just a little while. Sure. Um, are there any other services that he, that you guys utilized? No, I think toward the end, we were kind of looking at Meals on Wheels. Uh, that was about the only other resource that we had kind of looked into. Right. Um, my mom actually got that started, you know, a couple weeks or months after he passed. Mm-hmm. But there's been no other services that we used. Okay. So tell me, tell me, Marcy, how has your role as, as your mom's daughter changed since before your dad passed away, like when you started really helping both of them, how has your role as the daughter changed? And how has the family, we've already talked a little bit about how the family dynamics have changed, how, you know, your brother has, has moved in, how your sister is now the primary caregiver. How has your role changed as far as what you're doing for mom now? And, and during the time that dad was very sick what did your role look like because I'm sure it changed sure I, I, I definitely became the caregiver and mm-hmm. I knew uh, all of his medications we would have to sit there and 
basically fill up his medication planner. We would be going out there and getting the groceries and paying the bills. Um, A lot of that, obviously, she's kind of taken on now since she's home. Right, right. But I think she's just, she has so, she has so much pride. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she just cries every time she talks about how proud she is of us Aww. because of how everything we went through. She's just um, been so proud of how her kids stepped up and took care of everything and gave dad the medicine and we were all there when he passed. She's just been very appreciative of it. Yeah. Um, She's now a big component of selling home health and hospice for me. Where, <laughs> you know, before she would, I'd come down there and she'd be like, "Well, Uncle Bill's in the hospital," and she would <laughs> tell me about all these people that could potentially be referrals for me. And I'm like, "Mom, you need to let me know about these people." Yes. But uh, you know, now now she sees the need, and uh-huh. um, she just, she's so grateful. And I just the the pride that she really has and the respect that she has for her kids and that we've all grown up and have successful jobs. She's just um, really grateful for us. Yeah. Definitely brought us all closer together. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and usually sickness can do one of two things. It can bring you closer together. Sounds like in your case, it, you know, it's made it better. Um, So it has, since dad's passed away has mom been more open with you kids about like if she would ever need to be placed somewhere or if she has the financial resources for um home health or um any private duty nursing or anything like that is she more open now um have you guys been able to break that particular barrier no no very frustrating but no in fact she's very hospice appropriate right now and doesn't want to have that conversation uh, doesn't think she needs help she's very depressed she's very socially isolated um she's adult failure to thrive and uh no we again it's i'm fine i'm fine um, well, I'll, I'll look into that. I'll take care of that. Um, but no, she's she's very resistant, and it's it's very frustrating. Yeah, yeah. Because so, well, didn't we learn anything? Are we going to do this all over again? <laughs> right. So, what advice can you give to adult children to help them when they're making decisions for care? What, what would you recommend if they had a parent? And it was kind of a similar situation to what you've got. What would you, what advice would you give to them? Oh, start the conversation early. Yes. If you're there Labor Day weekend or, you know, just hanging out, I would just start the scenario. Yeah, I have a co 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 uh, coworker, you know, that had this happen with their parents. And, you know, it just made me stop and think, what would we do for you guys? So have you guys ever talked about that? Do you have long-term care insurance? Do you know what it would take to actually for it to kick in? Um, What are your wishes? You know, I mean, come to find out when we were even talking about putting dad on hospice, I was trying to figure out if we were going to use his heart disease or his dementia for his eligibility. And so I went to go get paperwork um, from neurology consultants. And I said, mom, I said, he doesn't even have a dementia or an Alzheimer's diagnosis. Who did you take to 
to getting diagnosed. And she goes, well, I don't know. I, I just, I thought we went up there to neurology consultants and no, he just did like a sleep study. So they had no, no dementia or Alzheimer's diagnosis. So, um, which was really surprising to me because, you know, again, mom was on top of all of his medications. She was on top of all of the doctor's appointments. So I just think that as kids, we just need to get involved. We just need to know what's going on with our parents. Maybe we need to take a day off and go to the next doctor's appointment and get a copy of the visit note and look it over. And maybe we can see, you know, oh my gosh, your dad actually takes 19 different medications and he's got 17 different diagnoses. Um, Maybe I really need to have that conversation with mom to find out like what a day in the life looks like for her, you know, because maybe she'll be more forthcoming to how much she's actually struggling through that conversation. Right. And some of those conversations can be very difficult. Um, I know working in hospice and also also working at uh, in the funeral industry, um, those conversations are very difficult to have. Um, because, of course, when we're all faced with our mortality, we don't we don't want to talk about that. That's a very uncomfortable subject. And, you know, we're just not raised to talk about it. But um in, in this particular generation coming up, I think it's really important for us to have those open conversations with our parents and say, you know, I know you don't want to talk about this. I know it's really uncomfortable, but in order for us to help you in a way that is going to be fitting for you, we kind of have to know some of these, um, some of these answers just in case anything should happen. You know, we don't have to talk about it every day. If you want to write it in a book, and tell me where that book is at. So I know kind of what, what we're dealing with, you know, after we have this conversation, um, you know, it doesn't have to be something that we bring up at Thanksgiving dinner table. You know, that's not appropriate talk for then, but maybe just on those days where we just pop in and say, you know, something's been on my mind and I'd really like to sit down and talk with you guys about it. Right. And, And just starting to open those conversations. I think you're right on the money with starting to open those conversations a lot earlier, a lot sooner. And just to have the conversation when you're not already in crisis mode and you can't think about it. Exactly. You know, and both parties have a say so. Right. Right. And that's that's <laughs> the thing as well. You know, I think having a, a meeting with all of the siblings and our parents and saying, okay, first of all, we need to decide who's going to be the person that's going to make the ultimate decision. Because yes, you can have three or four making that decision. But as we know, when you have more than one, you're going to have difference of opinions. And so, yeah. so having that conversation with our families and sitting down and saying, it doesn't matter which one of us you choose, but we want to know what your wishes are ahead of time. Because like you said, when we're in crisis mode, then then what happens is, is the decision-making process has now been taken from us. And that independence that they so much want to have is now gone because now we're in crisis mode. So now we're just we're just treating the symptoms or the situation. We're not really treating or making decisions long-term. We're just trying to put fires out. And so I think having those open conversations is going to be really beneficial um, to our families. Well, and all of us that are in healthcare, we all know what it costs for private pay services. We all know that home health doesn't mean someone to come in and sit with mom and dad for seven or eight hours a day. So 
knowing that it's $25 an hour to do that and knowing that we can't take off work, you should start thinking of what happens if, what happens if I have to do this? Right. Because that's what happens is just like you said, you know, all of a sudden in a day you are working, you're getting phone calls that your, your mom is headed to the hospital and then everything starts changing. And then now it's okay. Now you've got to work full time, but you also have to make these decisions in crisis mode. Right. Um, And so I think, I think that's a great way to look at it. Definitely is, you know, how can we be more educated? And that's why we're doing this podcast is to, to get information out there for families because you've got to do your research. You've got to know what you're doing before it happens. Yeah. Just like and everybody's said, scenario is different. You know, yeah. I mean, we, we run into it every day. There's something different. I mean, I feel like I'm going mm-hmm. to my administrator on a, on a day-to-day basis. Okay. Well, this is what's going on with this person, but they right. need this, this and they can't find this. So how does right. that work? It's like they, everybody falls through the cracks with right. almost everything, you know, independent living is not enough care, but they can't afford assisted living. They're in that, in that right. middle or you've got people that have so many different medications, then they fall in the donut hole and they need help with their finances. So it's just, it's all these different resources that we have available to, to us, but you know, do we have the financial means for them? And are we utilizing what we do have? Because if we're not educated and we don't know our way around, how are we ever going to know what what's really out there? Right. Um, you know, because there's a lot of families that we talk to. I've talked to them. You've talked to them. I'm sure anybody um, in senior care that that we know, we've all had these discussions with families where families think that if mom and dad start to decline, Medicare is going to cover things, and unfortunately. Medicare will cover some things, but Medicare doesn't cover everything. And there are gaps in care. Oh, how many times do we walk out of these people's houses, shaking our heads saying, oh my gosh, I don't know how we can help these people. Right. Because they need more care than what Medicare is going to cover and they can't afford what's out of pocket. Right. And and obviously these are our, our loved ones and we want them to have the best care possible. So... Um, here's a question for you. Would you change anything about the decisions you have made? And if so, what would they be? No, I don't think I would. Um, I know, like I said, when my sister said something about hospice, I thought it's way too early. Thank God I did the evaluation when we did. Mm -hmm. And thank God we didn't put him on palliative instead because when he fell on February 21st, we would have had to continue. We would have had, because palliative is built on the part B side. So he would have had the home health nurse. We would have had to pull home health out and we would have had to sign consents, go through that trauma of, of, oh gosh, now we're dealing with hospice and, and, you know, thinking about the D word and mm-hmm. him on to hospice, we would have had a whole new nurse. We would have had the team coming in for that next five days. It would have been overwhelming and bombarded, you know, with all these people and everyone would have been trying to get to know dad, you know, trying Got to it. find a baseline and then kind of monitor his de- decline. Mm-hmm. So thank God we didn't have to deal with that. And had we not even had him on service, we would have taken him when he fell to the hospital 
they would have stitched up his nose. They would have told us that he was fine. We would have came back home. His oxygen would have dropped to 67%. We would have panicked. We would have either ran him back up to the Wellington Hospital and thought that they were incompetent to know what was going on with him. So then we would have took him to St. Francis and we would have been told, oh, he's not going to make it. So let's transfer you up to the eighth floor Harry Hines Hospice inpatient unit. And he would have passed in the hospital. Right. So I don't, we, we thought about it and we thought about it. We wondered why he went so quickly. You know, we thought we were going to have him for many more months, but you know, in the grand scheme of everything, it just, I guess it happened the way it did and it happened the way it was supposed to happen. And we were right. just very grateful yeah. that we had the same nurse that she knew him. She was able to joke with him right. and, you know, it was, it was comfort. It was comfort mm -hmm. the whole way through. And we didn't have to sit there and know what was your name again? Who, who were you again? And try to, you right. know, with all these people coming and going on top of all the families and all the friends that were, you know, hearing about dad and coming by to say their goodbyes. And, mm -hmm. so, well, no. and, and just for our listeners out there, I just want to clarify, Marcy works in, in senior care. So the way that she's explaining things, most people would not think those many steps ahead. But because you work in the industry, you already saw the scenario playing out, what it was going to be like. And so um, as people who don't work in the industry, um, one of the things that we can take away from this conversation is, is that there would have been a lot of things um, that were not comfortable at the sure. end of life. And you were able to have peace and, and you were able to, for him to be comfortable with his nurse, with his friends being able to come over and you eliminated some of those steps by the decisions that you made. Um, yes. And that's why education, being educated and researching these things is so very important. So very important. Um, one last question, Marcy. Um, do you have any advice that we haven't talked about that you'd like to give families out there um, just on senior care, just on, you know, making decisions, having conversations, whatever you want to leave us with, what, whatever advice that you would like to, to leave the, the families with? Um, I think just the main thing is, is that even though I am in senior care, uh, just it's a struggle to even know what resources are available. Mm -hmm. So if you have aging parents and you're in their life, I would suggest just reaching out to someone that does have that senior care knowledge or someone of, of us in this network and um, just, mm -hmm. just reach out, just, just ask questions, just give us your scenario and let's figure out, you know, how we can help you because mm -hmm. um, everybody is going through this, you know, publicly or silently. I mean, we, we all have our aging parents and right. everybody different, different struggles that they're going with. And, um, I, I wouldn't have realized some of the resources that were available to me until, um, people just asked me, you know, I didn't know anything about the aid and attendance program mm -hmm. and whether or not my dad qualified. And now I make sure that when I reach out to people and I find out that they may have VA benefits or that they were a veteran, I, I try to, you know, be their advocate and try right. to find those resources for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's the thing, you know, um, working in the industry, I've been in the industry a long time as well. And I tell people, I know enough to be dangerous, 
because I know enough about each piece of the industry to, re- to really be dangerous. However, I do know um, people that I can point them to, or, you know, I can say, I know this much about this, but let me get you an expert in the area. Um, you know, and as senior care professionals, I think we all strive to be that resource for our families, um, to be able to help them or at least get them to the right, um, person or the right agency or the right company that can help them through whatever the topic is. Um, cause there's so many things out there that we don't know, um, when we're going through this journey. So Marcy, we are so thankful that you've joined us today. This is, this is a, a good, um, advice that you've given us. And I think your journey speak, will speak to a lot of people because you are just a normal person. You're a daughter, you're a mother, you're a sister, and you're going through the exact same journey as far as with your parents as millions of, of kids out there. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so we do appreciate you being on the podcast today. I, I really appreciate it. Um, and we look forward to, to working with you. I'll be praying for your mom and for you guys. And, um, we just want to thank you for being on thank here. You. All appreciate right. it. All right, Marcy. Um, I'm sure I'll see you sometime here real soon. Sounds good. Thank you, Stacy. You're welcome. All right, gang. Well, that was Marcy Bacon and a wonderful friend of mine has went through a lot in the past few months and uh, was able to share. And I appreciate that. If you are helping somebody, if you're taking care of somebody, please reach out. Um, reach out to me. I can point you in the right direction. Um, these companies that I'll have on here, you can reach out to them. They're a great resource. So until next time, we will go ahead and sign off for now, but we'll be visiting real soon. Thank mm-hmm. you.